easy target for you. Also, once you land there, look to your left to 1 Thessalonians. Just a number of pages left from Revelation. I'd like to talk to you today about the difference between the rapture and the revelation. You hear those terms thrown around the church. I think most of us are more familiar with the term rapture than revelation. Uh, but both of those events comprise the second coming of Jesus Christ, the rapture and the revelation. I got an email from one of our members on Barwell and you know, whenever you teach from a book of the Bible, a lot of times people in the church start reading that book of the Bible. They want to know, they want to get a step ahead of you. And so Ronnie said he was reading the book of Revelation, and he says, Pastor, I can't find the rapture in Revelation. And so I was going to write him back, but you know how that goes when you get an email? Sometimes you don't return it. You forget it gets lost. And, and so Ronnie was at service uh, last night, Saturday evening, and I, I said, Ron, this is for you. I want to show you where we find the rapture in the book of Revelation. It's not specifically stated, it's implied. And so in Revelation chapter 4, let's look there this morning, verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here. We believe that this is a, a suggestion of the rapture. Because remember in chapter 2 and chapter 3 we talked about the churches. The church at Ephesus, the church at Philadelphia, the church at Laodicea. And we found that the uh, at the end of the day, the close of the day, remember Christ had been essentially in many churches pushed out the door. And that verse that we often use to bring people to Christ is really a verse that talks about the church. Jesus has been shoved out of the door rather nicely of the church. And he stands on the outside of the door and he knocks. Uh, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he will dine with me. That's a, that's a picture of the church at the end of the age. But after the change is finished, we believe that the rapture will take place and believe that this is a suggestion. Come up here and I will show you things to come which must take place after this. Not only do we think this is a suggestion of the rapture, but we also uh, think that because the church is not mentioned anymore for Revelation. It's, it's past. Its day is done. Uh, the church age for a purpose. Uh, there will be a time in God's economy that the church will have no further purpose on the planet. And uh, when the rapture takes place, the church will be taken off of the earth. And so the rapture is going to take place, we believe, at any time. And you know, as you and I look at current events, we keep thinking, boy, I'll tell you what, it could happen tomorrow. Uh, it could, uh, the Lord could come to harvest His church, just take His church right off the face of the earth, just like that. And you'll notice then that the rapture is Christ coming for his church or the family, his saints. Um, back in 1 Thessalonians, if you'll turn there with me, I'd like to direct your attention to verse number 13. 
chapter 4, verse 13. Paul here explains the rapture in detail. He said, listen, I want you to understand what happens when people die. Verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism for the word death. Kind of a softer way to present it. Lest you sorrow as others have no hope. When a person dies, the human bond is so powerful, it just literally rips the heart out of you when you lose a loved one. But there are different kinds of sorrow when you lose a loved one. There's sorrow that, uh, that is not so bad because you know you're going to see that loved one again one of these days in heaven. And then there's another kind of sorrow which I've seen in the ministry, and that's the sorrow that, that, uh, that people don't have any hope for the future. They, when they walk away from that cemetery plot, they say to themselves, that's the end, I'll never see them again, and that's a deeper sorrow. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain on the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Now here's the event right here. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a what? Shout. And with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, one of these days the trumpet is going to sound. And the dead in Christ, those who have died in their faith, shall rise first. Then, we're secondary if we're alive at that time. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the And thus shall you be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Usually we end right here, uh, the end of the chapter. But today we're moving on. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. You know, all of us probably deep down in our heart like to know when Jesus is ready to return because we'd shape up right before that, right? It's like, whoa, you know, we'd kind of count it down. Uh, about a week out, we'd, we'd start fasting and praying and doing everything we knew we should have done. But the Bible says, listen, I don't want you to live like that. It's not important for you to know the times or the seasons, but... For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. This is all I want you to know about it. The Lord is coming back to harvest His church as a thief in the night. And when they say peace and, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as the pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. The Bible uh, teaches us that uh, the coming of the Lord is like a thief in the night. You know, when a thief comes to take anything that you have, he doesn't announce himself, hey, listen, get ready, here I come. Uh, he sneaks in at the most inopportune time for him. It's a surprise. And he takes the valuable things that you have in your home or your business or wherever it may be. Matthew 24, 39 uh, gives us a little insight. Let's read this together. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Now, this is basic. We understand this is how the rapture is going to take place. 
There's a believer and an unbeliever and they're at work and all of a sudden the believer is gone. He, he or she leaves. And uh, the next morning, the, the headlines, the papers around the world will read something like this, millions missing. Now, how they explain that, I'll never know. But uh, they have to make the announcement. Here's a news flash. Millions of people on planet Earth missing. Uh, it was a surprise to everyone. They were just going along their life, just living life as they normally did, and the Lord came back again to take family home. Like a thief in the night. You know, when a thief comes, he looks through the house and he takes the most valuable objects. He goes right for the jewelry or right for the, uh, right for the silver. And when the Lord comes back, he's going to take the most valuable thing to him away, and that's you. You are the most valuable thing to God on planet Earth. You are His family. You are His people. And He longs to take you to heaven to be with Him. Because there's nothing as exciting as being together with your family. And so the Lord is coming to take His most valuable possessions. But He's coming secretly. Now, people won't see Him. They'll just see the results. Millions missing. That's the rapture. We believe after that time, God's going to pour out His tribulation on planet Earth. That's chapter 6 through chapter 19. And I want to encourage you to read it in the Bible, because when you read it in the Bible, you'll be going, Oh, man, I can't believe that. The seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments. It goes from bad to worse, and God essentially fries this world. That's why God's taking His people away. He doesn't want them to experience that. Uh, but then after the God judges the world for its sin, he's coming back in the revelation. Now, the word revelation has changed meanings. Uh, that's Christ coming with his church from heaven, with his family or his saints from heaven. He comes back to Jerusalem. Uh, no longer will Washington, D.C., the power center of the world, Moscow, Russia... Uh, it will be Jerusalem, will be the power center of the world. The king will come. No more politics. Won't that be a tremendous thing? Uh, the Lord will come back with his plan and his program. He'll rule the world with a rod of iron, the Bible says. And uh, that's our message today. We're trying to get people ready for that so that they don't have to experience the creation. Uh, we'd like to think our church is the Church of Philadelphia, the faithful church. And you know what the faithful church is all about? It's about gathering worshipers for God. You know, essentially, we call it witnessing. We call it sharing our faith. Really, in the bottom line, it's gathering worshipers for God. It's you going to work and saying, hey, listen, why don't you worship God with me? Because Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 23, this, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking people like that to worship Him. And so the Lord uses the church to draw people together to worship Him. In our church, we're not asking God to worship our church or to worship the people that teach the Bible in our church or we're not asking God or not asking our people to worship their Bible. We're asking people to worship God Almighty, because He is the only one worthy to receive glory and honor and power.
Uh, there's this very interesting uh, verse in the Bible. It's found in Romans 11.25. And it paints a unique picture for the signs of the times. You know, you and I are busy, hopefully, about the work of Christ. We're to bring people to the Lord. We're trying to persuade them to be a Christian before they have to pay the penalty for their sin. But in that verse, it says this, that the Jews right now have hard hearts toward the things of God. But that hardness will only last this, until the complete number of Gentiles come in. You see, God used the Jewish people in the early years to plow the ground. Christ presented himself to the Jewish nation. They rejected him. And so he turned to the Gentiles. And so the, the massive number of people in the church today are Gentile people. But the Bible says one of these days, the full number of Gentiles will be completed. That kind of says to me that there is a number known by God, not by me, that whenever they reach God, that number of people coming to Christ, the Lord is going to say, okay, now is time for the rapture. And I don't know whether there's an angel in heaven with a little clicker, and every time somebody gets saved, he goes, click, 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 big revival, click, 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 click. All over the world, people are coming to Christ, and Gentiles are coming to faith in the Lord. Uh, whenever that last click takes place, God's keeping score, that's when the rapture is going to take place. Now, I know, and, and I've said this to you before, that you probably wondered, why hasn't Christ come back before now? That's always a question. Let's look at this verse, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, and let's read it together. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise to return. As some people think, no, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so He is giving more time for everyone to repent. You know, if, if judgment were... If we were allowed to produce judgment, we would have produced it a long time ago, right? We would have like, okay, I'll fry you. You deserve death. Uh, but God is a whole lot more long-suffering than us, and so He says, for our sake. That's why He hasn't come so, uh, to this day. And, and He says He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants to give you and me an opportunity to share with our friends how to be delivered from coming judgment. Coming judgment is sure coming on planet Earth. All you have to do is read chapter 6 through 19, and you'll see it is a horrific event. And so, he's giving us more time to bring our loved ones to Christ. Because he wants, what's the last three words? Everyone to what? He's not willing that any should perish. Now, we say, oh, that person deserves to go. Listen, we all deserve to go to hell. There's not a person in our church that does not deserve to go to hell. Because any sin, any one sin, has offended the holiness of God. And the Bible says, the soul that sins, it shall what? Die. And so all of us deserve hell. And so we can't go around pointing our finger and say, well, they deserve it more than me. Uh, everyone deserves that. But the Lord says, listen, I'm not willing that anybody should die without me. That's why God hasn't pulled the trigger. That's why the coming of the Lord has not taken place. Well, with that in our mind, let's look 
just a few thoughts here. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. Because we believe that Jesus is alive, there is hope. Who's traveled the path before us? Who knows the way through the valley of the shadow of death? It's the Lord. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. We say, we say listen, we believe in an eternity. We be, believe in everlasting life because Jesus went down through the valley of the shadow of death and he came out on the other side. Now, here's a very interesting thought, and I, maybe you've never had this thought before. And uh, let's look at it. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. The Lord's coming back. He's God. And he's bringing those who sleep in Jesus, those people who have died in faith. One of these days, and when the clicker goes off, click, the Lord's going to say to the believers who have died and went to heaven, okay, it's time for us to go back. I can see a little protest there. I can see some people say, I don't want to go back to earth. I like heaven. The Lord says, listen, we're going back to celebrate the resurrection. And so those people that we've sent on to the, into heaven are gathered on that day to come back with Christ to the grave plots of our world. Whatever family stood out there and mourned over their loss, they're coming back to celebrate the resurrection. And up like Jesus came, up from the grave he arose, those graves are un going to yield forth new bodies to be reunited with those who have come back with Jesus to celebrate the resurrection. Boy, that's going to be experience right there. Uh, whenever a believer dies, he goes immediately to heaven. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent in the body is to what? Present with the Lord. Uh, not a holding pattern that you wait a while before you go to heaven as soon as your heart stops, as soon as you quit, uh, your system shuts down, you go to heaven. And uh, one of these days, heaven is going to come back to earth. And then there's going to be a reunion. Those who are alive main. That's you and me. You know, people down through the centuries have always wanted to live in the last generation so that they wouldn't have to call the undertaker. Uh, nobody likes to do that. You know that? Nobody likes to do that. Okay, let's call the coroner. Uh, let's make the arrangements at the undertaker. As sure as we are reading in the Bible today, there is going to be a generation, I don't know if it's ours, but I'd like to think it will be, that doesn't have to lift the phone and call the local undertaker, but instead rises with Jesus in the rapture. Whoa, isn't that something? Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and 52, it says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That's saying to the Christian, not everybody in the church is going to die. We shall not all sleep, but all of us will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead is incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Everybody, the dead, the living, will all be transformed. 
our perishable bodies will become heavenly bodies. Now, that'll be nice, won't it? Wow. That thought's too good to be true, isn't it? I talk to people every now and then. I, they say, boy, you know, I can barely go now anymore. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, all those days be gone. We're transported back to heaven. The last generation will experience the statement, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? There's going to be a whole generation of people that the pastor doesn't have to say the last words over their body. They're going to directly go into the presence of God. There's going to be a wonderful reunion caught up together. Just think today of the people that you love, that you have walked to the cemetery with your arms around your loved ones and you have committed them to the ground. There's going to be a reunion one of these days. And it's going to be a wonderful experience for you. Caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, my mother, as I tell you, as I told you many times, in September will be 98. Uh, she's so she's such an awesome person. But here, about a month ago, or six weeks ago, she she got a little melancholy, and she started thinking about past. And she said, Johnny, she said this. She can't go anywhere. She's confined uh, to the nursing home. She said, Johnny, I'd like to go around to the cemeteries and visit our relatives in the cemetery. And I thought, oh boy, that'll be hard. And she said, I'd like to go to McKee's Rocks and visit the cemetery of my little baby. She hadn't mentioned that in years. I don't know what a 98 lady is about. But she said, I'd like to visit that cemetery. I'd never visited that cemetery. I knew the story. She had a premature baby, and they didn't name, name the baby. And she said, I'd just like to go there. And, and uh, she said, uh, he's all alone there. And I said, Mother, he's not there. The, this baby is with the Lord. And... She said, yeah, but he doesn't have his mother. And after I almost picked myself off the floor, I thought, boy, a mother would really think like that, you know, that he doesn't have his mother. And so uh, she, she inspired me. My son John's been uh, here the summer with us, and I said, Johnny, uh, let's go over and go to that cemetery. It's right outside of McKee's Rocks, going up the hill, Calvary Cemetery. And for years, I've threatened to go and see if I could find that grave. I never did it. There was always something that came in or that became more important than that. And so we got in the car here just a few weeks ago when we drove up to Calvary Cemetery. And after we pulled in the entrance there, there was a young guy on a, a lawnmower, a riding mower, and he got off and he greeted us and he was so kind. And I explained to him the story that my mother lived in McKee's Rocks many years ago and she had this little premature baby and she put it in the ground and would like to know if we could find the grave. He said, come on inside, I'll see what I can do. So he fired up the computer and he said, it's not in here. That was before computers. He said, it's not in here. And he reached out and he got this big book. It was about this big. 
And he opened it really carefully because it was, uh, it was very old. And in the most beautiful handwriting you ever saw, there were all these names, hundreds of them. I didn't even know what year to look under. So I just picked a year out of, out of the sky. I said, why don't you start looking in 1938? And so he started looking in 1938 and he says, listen, I think I got something here. May 6th. 1938, baby Arnold, $8, the fee for the cemetery. He said, listen, I think I know where those graves are. In addition, it said grave number 752. He said, there might be a marker out there. I didn't even know what a marker was for a baby. We learned that a marker was a little round thing like that with a number on it. Not a name, but a number. It's about this big and it was just like cement put into the ground. Well, we went out to the graveside and we looked. We were looking all over there, my son John and I, and we were looking at the numbers, you know, 750, 751. And right where 752 would have been, there was this tree had grown there. Some of the markers had popped out of the ground and were just laying, laying there on the hillside. Uh, the freezing and the thawing had just pushed them up out of the ground. And uh, we took a few pictures. I took a few pictures. And I thought to myself, you know, I wish I'd have done this a long time ago. This little baby was never named. I'd like to get a marker to put on there more than 752. I'd like to name the baby after his father, Albert, and call him Albert Arnold, Jr. It's kind of sad. It really is. After all these years, No, no one went, went there. We believe a baby is a baby in the womb and a baby in real life. Well, I hope I get to do that. I hope I get to place a marker there and put a name there. But I know one thing. One of these days, I'll see that little boy. My brother that I never met. And he, or at least I, will say, listen, Albert, we have a lot of catching up to do, don't we? And he'll say, you know, I have more to tell you than you have to tell me. I got the best deal. Because babies go directly into the presence of God. Well, we have a wonderful future. And we have pain in this life and we lose people we love. But I'll tell you when they know Christ, in the final day and in the final hour, it'll all be glory, won't it? It will be worth it all. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I wonder if the, Lord, the trumpet were to sound and the Lord would come back today, if you would be ready to meet the Lord. Would you go to 
to be with Him in heaven? Have you accepted Him as your Savior? Have you become a part of His family? Well, if you have, it's good. But if you haven't, it's bad. Because the church is leaving. The church is checking out. And then God is going to judge this world for its sin. And I'll tell you, God's hand of mercy has extended you today. And I want to ask you to reach out and take God's hand in our church this morning. If you've never, by faith, not physically, but by faith, reached up your hand and said, Lord, take my hand. Do it today. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to wash them in His blood and come into your heart and change your life and make you a follower of Him and so that you can go out and you can share with your friends and your family and your neighbors and how they too can experience the love of Christ. So that when the trumpet sounds, they can go too to be with the Lord. And so I invite you to do that right there in your pew this morning. Open your heart to Christ. He's been speaking to you. He's been drawing you to Him. This is the day. This is the hour to do that. It would be be awful tonight to lay your head on the pillow and the trumpet sounds and you do not go to be with the Lord. And so take advantage of this opportunity right now. Dear Lord, we thank you for your love and I pray now that as we come to the conclusion of our service today that you'll move in our hearts. Lord, we can't praise you enough for heaven. We can't praise you enough for the, your love for us, how you reached down into this wicked world to find us, Lord, and how you came down to walk with us. I pray that not one single person in this church today will walk away from this service without you in their heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing, and if you'd like to come and pray at the altar, maybe you'd just like to come and say, Lord, here, I give it to you this morning. I, here I am, take. If you'd like to come and pray for a friend, you just feel free to come right now as we sing.
God's people said, Amen. Well, what a wonderful thing to be in the house of the Lord. Mike Reynolds, would you dismiss us in prayer, please?